Wow. How you doing? I genuinely wondered how many folks we'd have here today with Kiara listening to it in the night. How many of you were up in the night listening to Kiara? No. Well, okay. Far too sleepy. That's good. Um, well, I want to say a warm welcome, uh, especially if you're a visitor among us today. If it's your first time with us and you're wondering if this might be a new spiritual home, have a chat with me or one of the elders. And uh, we have Kelly, who was sitting down here, who's just gone. Ed, give us a wave, Ed. And Jenny, who's over there. One of us would love to have a chat with you about the church if you're wondering whether this might be a new spiritual home. And you've come at a really good time, but also a really bad time. It's a good time because this is a great place to be, and we're delighted that you're here. Um, it's a bad time because we're in part four of a five-part series, but, uh, but it's okay. And uh, can we just throw up the first slide? Thank you. We're doing a series at the moment called Shape. And the idea behind this whole series is God has got a unique purpose in your life just for you. The great and wonderful news is you are not an accident. Now, I have to tell you, in my ministry, and I've been in ministry, I, I realized that this April, and, and I'm kind of hesitant to say this because it makes me feel quite old, but this April, it'll be 30 years since I went into full-time Christian service. I was three at the time. <laughs> I was 17, nearly 18, and I started working for that. Don't laugh at that. That's the genuine, that's the real one. That's the, real, that's the truth. Uh, so I was 17, nearly 18, and I started to work for a church. My very first day, my very, very first day, I went into the church office to be greeted by one of the pastors who said, there's a young man in your office. You've got your, your first thing is you just need to go and spend some time with him. What's happening? He's suicidal. I'd had no theological training, no counseling training. This is pretty horrific, isn't it? But if you're around in the 80s and the house church movement, things happened quickly and rapidly, and we were caught up in the middle of that. And so I spent the whole morning with this young man. By God's grace and some miracles, it was a great time, and God used that moment. But one of the things that came up in that very first conversation, and has happened in so many conversations since that day for me, Throughout 30 years of ministry, is people who believe they were an accident. And sometimes it's with a smile. You know, I'm nine years younger than the others, you know, because I'm the happy accident. That kind of a thing. Or sometimes it's said, and there's a deep sadness to it. I'm the accident. I was never meant to happen. I was too early. I'm the reason why they had to get married. Those kind of, those kind of thoughts. And there are many of us who, if we don't have that kind of overt sense of, I was an accident, because of that lack of purpose in our lives, and, and because we live in a world that perhaps has beaten us down and told us that we're just a number, just another whatever, and we've been allotted our place in life, and we've been categorized and filed away and unseen, it almost feels like we were just an accident. We're just a number, just a person. It doesn't make any kind of difference. And I just want to cut right the way through that with this incredible news that you are not an accident, that God has got a plan and a purpose for your life, and that it is, it is possible, rather, it is possible for us to enter into that plan for God's best for you. 
I began right at the beginning. This is what the world would kind of whisper in our ear, and it leads to so much frustration because it's an absolute lie. The world would say to some of us, because we have privilege or whatever, access to things that others don't, you can be anything you want to be. And some of us tell our kids that as children, you can be anything you want to be. And there's a kind of a nice sentiment to that. It's just not true, though. It just isn't true. I mean, I, you know, I could never be a fighter pilot because of this. I couldn't be anything I wanted to be. So even though I grew up on an RAF base where fighter pilots were the heroes and they were the best, if you told me as a child, you could be a fighter pilot one day, I couldn't be a fighter pilot one day. My eyes are rubbish. I take my glasses off and I'm nearly blind. Nobody wants me in the sky. <laughs> Not behind the driving wheel anyway. But the truth is this, as I said at the very beginning, but some of you weren't here and it was such a good line, I need to tell you it again. You can be everything that God designed you to be. You can be everything God dreams you could be. You can be everything God imagines that you could be. And this series is about finding and fulfilling that sense of destiny, that sense of what it is that God has for you to do. And part of that journey towards realizing all of that stuff and entering into that and finding that kind of sweet spot in our lives where we know we're in the right place doing the right thing, a time that some of us have that experience of and some of us don't, but that many of you will have had that lovely moment of realizing that you're in the right place at the right time doing the right thing and it's a great thing. How do we increase the chances of getting there? Well, part of that we want to suggest in this course is about discovering our shape our unique shape. Because once we really understand who we are, we can then figure out what it is that God might have us to do. And so we looked a few weeks ago at this S in shape, which stands for our spiritual gifts. And it, right at the beginning, we put it there because what we realize is that we're, in, we're talking about a partnership with God, not just some human initiative. And so spiritual gifts are those things that we do because the Holy Spirit is at work within us. It's the incredible stuff. It's the, it's the prophesying, saying God's words. It's the having knowledge that we could never have otherwise. It's the speaking in another language, singing in tongues, a heavenly language. It's the understanding of that and interpreting it. It's seeing healings come. It's seeing miracles come. It's having faith that God's going to do something that goes way beyond what we could have imagined he would do. These spiritual gifts. We, we began there. And then we moved on to where is our heart at? What are the things that, that move us in our heart? What are those dreams? Who are the people group that when we hear them mentioned, our heart leaps and we tune in? What is the cause that we would give ourselves fully for? Where's our heart at? And then last week we began to think about abilities, and that was the kind of the natural stuff. So, you know, if the Holy Spirit's with us, it might enhance those things, but actually they're the things that we can train ourselves to do. They're either natural aptitudes or they're skills that we have honed and trained over the years. Where are our abilities? And today is the, I have to share with you, the one that I struggle with the most in this series, not because I have problems with personality, I mean, I have quite a gentle, peaceful personality, hiding in the corners, and so, you know. But because in one sense, we tread into this one, and it's the one where I'm going to be least teaching from Scripture. 
And I share that with you because for the sake of the series and for the sake of this understanding of who we are, I think we have to grapple with the personality thing. But I would ordinarily open a scripture before you and we would explore that scripture and learn the lessons. So I'm in, I share with you, my uncomfortable territory because I would rather be teaching just scripture to you. What I'm going to share with you is not unscriptural, it's not unbiblical, it's just that we're going to be using scripture more as example rather than where we begin and end. So if you're here for the first time, no, this is not our normal mode of teaching. I do want us to begin though in Acts, and we'll do that in a minute. I've talked for a fair bit and we've got just a tiny bit of extra time today, just a tiny bit. I wonder if, with this in mind, personality-wise, would you just think for a moment, if you had to just sort of describe your personality in one word, I'm not even going to give you the two, I mean, you know, we have some time but not that much, just one word, if you had to define your personality, describe your personality in one word, just have a think of what it would be, in a moment I'm going to get you to turn to the person next to you and tell them what that word is just because it's a fun thing to do, but it gets us thinking where we want to be thinking. Uh, so are you there yet? Have you got your personality word? How would you describe yourself? What would it be? Go on, if you're ready, turn to the person next to you. How would you describe yourself? What would the personality word be? Okay, wow, some of you used really, really, really long words, because, come on, who's going to shout them out, who's going to tell me one of theirs, there was, a, there was one over here that was, uh, was loud, so we had loud over here, something from over here, oh, sorry, compassionate, that's a nice personal trait, isn't it, you can do the good ones, the, go on, Irene. Content. That's a nice describing of your personality, isn't it? Go on, Brent. Helper. Helper. That's a kind of, yeah, I like to help. Helpful. Yeah, personality. That's good. Anyone else feeling confident? Just shout it out. Pragmatic. That's a good person. I'm a pragmatic person. I like pragmatism. It works. Emotional personality. What else? Go on. Sensitive. Thank you. Go on, Ty. Grumpy. <laughs> oh, the path to enlightenment is to know yourself at the start. Sorry, what was that? Loving. loving. Let's finish with loving, because it's quite a nice one, isn't it? Let's finish on a good one. Thank you. We're not cancelling out grumpy, and we're not saying it's bad to be grumpy. We're definitely saying it's good to be loving, so there we go. Um, let's look at the beginning of Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, a passage I'm sure we've read together in my time here because to me it's quite an important passage, but I want to draw a couple of thoughts out of this. Now, in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. 
We've talked about this not too long ago, I think, so let's just have a quick recap. Something that we know about Barnabas. Anybody? Anybody know what that name means, Barnabas? Encourager or son of encouragement, whoever that was that said son of encouragement. Yeah, a son of encouragement, an encourager. And that's one of the things that we know about Barnabas in this list. We know about Barnabas' personality. Because as we read about the rest of his story in the New Testament and in the book of Acts, we realize that's exactly who Barnabas is. And we're going to come back to him in a little while to talk about how our personalities can cause conflict sometimes. Being an encourager can sometimes cause conflict, and we'll find out when in just a little while. There's the teaser to keep you awake and make sure you tune back in after the advert break. So we're going to come back to Barnabas. He's an encourager. We know about his personality. And so he's the kind of person who, when this little church was growing, he had to think to himself, who would be the right person to come with me that I can encourage into ministry and build them up in what God's doing, but I can take them with me to encourage this new little church as well? That was Barnabas, and that's how Saul comes into ministry and really starts to do what God's called him to do. So there's Barnabas. Then there's Simeon called Niger. Tell me what we know about Simeon called Niger. He was likely to be black. That word Niger means black. So called Niger, probably Simon the Black, which tells us something about his skin color, but likely also to tell us something about his nationality. One of the earliest churches that exists is where? Ethiopia. And so he may well have been one of those very, very early Ethiopian believers, one of the oldest churches in the world where the church grew quickly and grew fast from the very earliest days of preaching, was there in Ethiopia. So he may well be one of the leaders of the Ethiopian church. We're looking at people who are described here as prophets and teachers. So these are leaders of the church. So in that very beginnings of our church, we've got Barnabas, who's this kind of Jewish everyman, who's this really encouraging guy. We've got this guy, Simon Niger, that we may suppose is one of the leaders from the Ethiopian church. Then we have Lucius of Cyrene. We talked about this recently, I think. Anybody remember where Cyrene is? It's in modern-day Libya, so North Africa. So perhaps somebody uh, of North African heritage, uh, and that's what we know about Lucius. We know not very much else about him, except that's where he's from. He's from North Africa. And then we have two others named here, the first of whom is Menaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. If you've heard me teach on this, you know that there's a little temptation I have, which is just to add in a few words at that line. And to kind of get the sense of what's being written here, you have to read it this way. Menaean, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, don't you know? That's the kind of sentence here. There's a don't you know missing, which works for us in our culture. And, and so we can read things about him. Herod the Tetrarch, he was, Menaean was brought up with Herod. This is like, he's proper rich. He's like, you know, he's brought up with the, the rich people and the rulers and the kings, and he was raised with them. And then we have Saul. Tell me something that we know about Saul, anything we know about Saul. He, was a, he persecuted the church to start off with. And so, in case you don't know Saul's story, he starts his life as somebody who's a very committed, dedicated Jewish leader who longs to see God's name revered. He has this understanding in his head that if only he could get all of God's people to obey all of the law for just one day, 
the Messiah will come and make everything well. That's what the Pharisees believed. That's why they kind of cracked the whip about the law, because they just thought if everybody for just one day would obey the whole law, Messiah would come. And he believed that, and he saw this, Jew, this Jewish sect, as he saw it, saying that Jesus was the Messiah, so he persecuted them because he thought they were wrong, wicked, and evil. It was a desire to see God's name blessed and for God to come and send his Messiah that meant he persecuted the people who followed the Messiah, the Messiah that he'd missed. So that's something important that we know about Saul because it gives us an insight into his personality as well, doesn't it? He's this driven character. There's this passion in him. So Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, what else do we know about Saul? He became Paul. There was a critical incident that happened that meant he changed from being Saul to Paul. He was on a road to, somebody tell me who isn't Steve Rothen because he's taken all of the credit right now. I'm assuming that somebody else in this church knows the story of Saul's conversion. On the road to Damascus. Oh, that's great. You're awake. I'm just checking. So on the road to Damascus, Paul experiences this blind, Saul experiences this blinding light. Here's this voice say, why are you persecuting me? And he realizes it's Jesus. And that in persecuting the church, he's been persecuting Jesus himself. And so a whole change takes place. He's blind for a while. And then God does a miracle so that these scales fall off his eyes and he can see. It's amazing things that happen. And then that same Saul we saw who persecuted the church becomes the Paul who builds up the church. That same passion and drive. Now that he knows the truth, he wants people to glorify God. He wants people to know Messiah's come. And so we see that drivenness in his life. And here's the thing. I want us to see in this list of names, some of these names we know because of their personality, some we know little about beyond where they were probably from. But it's personality that makes the important part of this story. We know that for Manaean, for Lucius, and for Simeon, God had a story for them. They were leaders, but we don't know an awful lot about them. What we do know, especially about Barnabas and Saul, is all about their personality. Now, in our church, we have stained glass. And uh, we could have done an experiment and kind of toyed with it, but, you know, it's a bit breezy and it's still a bit bright out there. One night, I might just do this so you can see. If we shine a light from outside through the glass, the glass lights up a little bit, and its colors become more vibrant. And as we look at, uh, let's look at that one, because I think we can nearly all see that one there. We would see that as the light shone through that middle window, we'd have that blue would become a quite a vibrant blue. The pink becomes a more easily identifiable pink. The greens and the yellows become more visible as the light shines through them. And here's the amazing thing about stained glass. And if any of you have sat in a dark church and looked at stained glass, this is the wonder of it, isn't it? The light outside is the same color. It's just bright light outside. But as it comes through the glass, which is different colors, we see that light in a different kind of way and in a different glory. That's why we have stained glasses in church, because it's pretty, and it tells us something about light. And here's the thing about our personalities, they're like stained glass. And so God's light in his presence, and in John chapter 1, we, we have this description of Jesus as light coming into the world. That's what happens into the stage of human history where darkness was reigning, light appears. That's what John is telling us at the beginning. And this light is the light of the world. 
This is the light that has come to show us not just what darkness is, but also what we become when light shines on us because of what Jesus has done. Light comes into the world as Jesus lives among us, demonstrates the godly life, shows us the way back to the Father, and then, as we keep talking about time and time again, there on the cross, takes the punishment for everything that we have ever done wrong and ever will do wrong, dies to take that punishment and is buried. Three days later, rises again to prove that he's God, that he really is divine, lives among his people, carries on teaching and inspiring them, and then ascends to heaven. And because he ascends to heaven, he can then do the next incredible thing, which is send his Holy Spirit upon us. Why is that important? Because the stained glass needs a wash. The stained glass has to be clean. And you and I get cleaned up by what Jesus did on the cross. You and I get a fresh beginning by putting our faith and our trust and our hope in him and in him alone. But in that moment, what happens is there's a transformation that takes place. And the glass that we could have been that got marred and murky and was hidden in the darkness comes out into the light and the light which is the light of the world shines through us and here's the thing when God's light shines through you and into the world it will look different from how it shines through me and into the world wouldn't it be dull if we were all yellow glass let me be clear I love yellow by far my favorite color like if we're in a room and there's 10 15 things and something's yellow I'm just drifting towards the yellow because I just want yellow, I love it. But it'd be dull if we were all yellow. God needs us to be the unique people we are so that when his light shines through us, it just begins to reveal something of his glory and his diversity and the wonder and the, the awesomeness that is in him. And so in the church in Antioch, there wasn't just a Barnabas. There wasn't just a Simeon. There wasn't just a Lucius. There wasn't just a Menaean. There wasn't just a soul. God's light shines through us in our incredible diversity and through our personalities, which gives a color to how we operate here in the world. And so it's going to be different for each of us because we're different people with a unique makeup and a unique sense of what God is doing in us. I want us really quickly to just, for a few minutes, no longer than a few minutes, to think about how we might start to think about our personality and understand ourselves a little bit better. Here we're venturing out into choppy waters because you can go into your local bookshop and you could find, I don't know how many books on defining your personality type. In fact, just for fun, how many of us have ever taken some kind of personality type indicator test? Look at that, have a quick look around, lots of us have. There's nothing wrong with that, I'm not saying it's bad, but you know, they will have used all sorts of different kinds of words. And so you'll have been described in all kinds of ways. I was reading about one in this book, which is kind of vaguely forming the shape of this course, that with this teaching series rather, from the shape course, which comes from Saddleback Church. Uh, I was reading in one there that defines people as different kinds of animals. Somebody's a wolf and somebody's a, I don't know, a badger or something. I forget what the book said. But, you know, these different kind of animal characteristics to describe our personalities. Or the old kind of choleric, sanguine, that kind of thing as well. Lots of different ways that tests that people have. I don't want us to do a personality test. Hallelujah. I don't think any of them are accurate enough to be 
terribly helpful and what it seems to me they indicate, and I am not an expert and some of you may well be, is that they indicate often a preference. That's what they're indicating. And there's a danger when we do those things that we fix ourselves and we say, oh, I understand myself now. It's because I'm a this, therefore that's what I'm always going to do. And here's the thing, that's limiting ourselves. That's the kind of me being me, whereas what we said at the beginning is we can be everything God ever imagined we should be. That means that if there's something that God imagined we should be that's slightly outside of our personality and presses or changes us, we're open to that. So we don't want to be defined by our personality. What we do want to do is realize that we are a unique shape. And there's this blend of things in us, our spiritual gifts, our hearts, our abilities, but also our personality. So for example, we're, I don't know, who's the shyest person you know? Whoever that might be, the most introverted, shy person you could think of, who, like if I was just to say, do you know what, just, would you quickly just stand up here and tell us your life story in a minute? They would just like, they'd cry. And some people are like that, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But like if they were, somebody came to them one day and said, I have a prophetic word for you. God says, you're going to be a mighty evangelist and you're going to go and speak in front of crowds of hundreds of thousands. The initial response might be, I'm not sure that is God. Now, it might be God and it would show us where God would need to work. But if God uses the poles of this world, the souls of this world, through their personality, the Barnabases of this world, through their personality, and we can think of some great women preachers and leaders in the church throughout time who've strongly been used by God and it's been through their personality, we might be thinking my unique shape, the thing that God calls me to do that fits in with who I am, that sweet spot, probably has something to do with my personality. A personality that is formed by our experience in this world, but also the kind of makeup that we have inside just naturally anyway. So I'm going to want us to think about our personality just in two areas, and the book encourages us to think about it in two areas. Firstly, uh, how we relate, first of all, to, can I have the next slide on? Um, how we relate to others, and then how, the next one again, and how we respond to opportunities. It seems to me that as we relate to others and how we respond to opportunities reveals something about us. So really quickly, and in life groups, I'm going to encourage you to think about this some more this week. We could think, as we think about how we relate to others, are we an outgoing person or are we a reserved person? Are we the kind of person who, you know, when somebody says there's an opportunity to go to this party, this event, we're immediately like full of joy, or are we the kind of person who's just holding back a little bit? And when we go to a party, uh, or we go to a social gathering, or we're in a new environment, do we walk into that room knowing that we're about to make five new friends, or are we looking for the most comfortable seat against the wall, and maybe find the other person who's sitting against the wall and get into conversation with them, that one person, and plan to be with them for the evening? And this is just a way of knowing ourselves. What, what are we like? What are we like? Are we, are we the kind of outgoing person, or are we uh, reserved? We could throw the next slide up, actually, that'd be helpful. Are we self-expressed? Or are we self-controlled? Hi, I'm Jonathan. I'm a proud Yorkshireman. I'm going to get into a conversation with you and somebody says, oh, but you know, and they'll raise a topic of real importance. They'll say something ridiculous and I can't hold it in. I mean, it could be like something really serious, like, I don't know, Spurs are a best football team or something, you know? And I'll say, I'm really sorry, 
and I hate to jump in here, but, but I'm going to anyway. I'm going to anyway, because it's obviously wolves. Obviously wolves. I have a friend, Clive Caulfield. He's a minister up in St. Albans. I used to work with him 20-something years ago. That was the first time we were involved in Partners in Harvest, as it was then, now Harvest Alliance. And, uh, and I remember sitting, I was, a, I was 20 years ago, so I'm in my mid-20s at this time, and I'm in a room, and there's these three guys, and they're all much older than me, but here's an insight into my personality. I share with you just so that I can be vulnerable with you and you can see my imperfections, because I don't think it's helpful for you to think of me as perfect ever. We're sitting in this room around a table, and this guy begins to tell us how we should do something. And this guy's been around the block. He is older than me, he is wiser than me, but I'm 27 and I know everything. So I turn to him and I say, no, John, you're wrong, and I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Just like that. Just like that. Can you believe it? I've got Clive Caulfield, who's been leading this international ministry. I've got this guy, John, who's been working all over the place, seeing God work. And I'm 27, and I say, no, John, you're wrong. And I point the finger on everything. <laughs> no, John, you're wrong, and I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. At which point, they just laughed at me. <laughs> Clive said, have you heard yourself? It was exactly what I needed in that moment. I mean, Clive was very fatherly with me. If he could have got away with it, he'd have smacked me around the head, I think. <laughs> Some of us are like that. We just kind of jump in. It's probably unlikely that the Lord is going to call me to be a missionary in an Islamic closed state. Because that's not going to be a long ministry. You see? Some of us are a bit more reserved and self-controlled and are able to contain ourselves and share what's appropriate in the appropriate moment. So there's a kind of a, a dial here, isn't there? Are we cooperative or are we competitive? Here's a nice biblical example for you. On the day of the resurrection, the first evangelists, the first people to know that Jesus has been risen, somebody tell me who they are? The women, that's right, the women who are at the tomb, and they come and they tell the men. And what do the men do? Do they believe them and say hallelujah? No, they don't believe them. So the women have got the truth and they've got a handle on it, but the men don't believe. Men often struggle to believe, especially if the revelation first comes to women. Let that be a warning from history to us men. Um, we struggle sometimes if the revelation first comes to women. Anyway, they run to the tomb, these two guys. Who runs? Peter and John. Who got there first? John. But who entered into the tomb first? Peter. This story tells us so much about these two. So much about these two. Firstly, it's John who writes this account. And so he writes down, and I just genuinely have this belief, that in the short days afterwards, after the resurrection, when they were talking about this stuff, they would just sort of, you know, josh each other a little bit, just poke each other a little bit. You know, oh well, you know, we had that race. I went into the tomb first. Yeah, but I beat you there. And John records, the two ran but the disciple who Jesus loved, he got there first, and then Peter got there, and he ran into the tomb. And this is a nice snapshot of these two. In case you haven't picked it up, Peter is likely to be very competitive. Peter is first in all the time. When they're out after they've gone fishing, after the resurrection, they've got all sorts of questions, they don't know what's going on, and Jesus appears at the shoreline and speaks to them, and they realize it's Jesus. Who's the one that, first of all, jumps out of the boat so he can start swimming and get to Jesus first? It's Peter. Who's the one that's always opening his mouth and putting his foot into it? It's Peter. 
So who is it that God uses to be the mouthpiece for the first church? Because it needs somebody full of courage who's a big risk taker, who's just going to jump in and do it. It's Peter. God works with our personalities. So where are you on that scale? Are you a competitive person or are you a cooperative person? That's how we relate to others. We could think about how we relate to opportunities in the world and we could ask ourselves, um, when we think about that, are we a high-risk person or a low-risk person? Are we the kind of person who's quite willing to, to take the risk because failure doesn't scare us, because nobody got anywhere unless they risked failure, or are we the kind of person who shies away from risk? And this might help us think about who we are and what kind of ministries. Are we into people or are we into projects? Part two, coming back to where we were earlier on, I mentioned that we might talk about something. Do you remember what it was I said? Barnabas and our personalities causing conflict. There's going to come a moment in Acts chapter 15, where Barnabas and Saul can no longer walk together. It's a sad story. It's a very sad story. Barnabas is the one that's called Saul and has put him in ministry and has encouraged him. And then we read this. After the, the council in Jerusalem, which was a bit of church history you could read some other time, it said, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him, because he deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. Isn't that sad? I've experienced it in my own life in ministry. Sometimes it is sad when ministers can no longer agree. But what was the cause of this? The cause of this was their personalities. We have Barnabas. What do we know about Barnabas? He's the encourager. And just as he's encouraged Saul, become Paul, so too, he wants to encourage John Mark, this young follower of Jesus who, when they got to Pamphylia, fled a little bit, couldn't cope, had to back out, didn't fulfill his obligation. And Barnabas sees something in John Mark and sees in him the potential to become a great leader and sees in him somebody that God wants to use. And so Barnabas says to Saul, yeah, let's go and do that. We'll, we'll go and visit those churches again. Let's take John Mark. Why? Because he wants to build John Mark up and encourage him, because that's where his personality type is. Paul, however, is about projects. Paul's got this task. This isn't a, a jolly for us to go and encourage folks. This is a bit of work we have to do. We've got to go back to those churches we've already been to and build them up now and kind of encourage them and get on. We need a team with us who are with us. We need people we can rely on. This is a really, really important task We've got to go back and build up these young churches, so we need a team of people that we know will follow through. And I'm really sorry, but John Mark, he let us down once. Who was right? I'm not going to ask for hands up, because it will split us 50-50, or even worse, 48-52. <laughs> you see, Paul is absolutely right, isn't he? It's a really important task. You need to have people you can trust. He's right. 
But Barnabas is absolutely, sorry, but Barnabas is absolutely right too, isn't it? Here's somebody with potential who needs an opportunity, and here's an opportunity for them to, to make their way back into service and to be everything that God's imagined they could be. They're both right. And our personality can then lead to conflict because in the same situation, we can see things in a different way that can cause us to spark off each other and there can be a conflict. Are we somebody who needs to follow or somebody who is comfortable with the lead? Now, somebody who always wants to lead, we should put a little question mark next to them. Just check it out. What's going on there? What's that about? But I want this to be about comfort. Are we somebody who's more comfortable? My personality says, I'll follow you if you lead well. And are we somebody who says, well, look, I, I can lead. I'm happy to lead. Are we a follow or lead? Are we somebody who really relishes the chance to work in teams? We try and work in teams here. Or are we somebody who prefers to go solo? And are we the kind of person, when we think about what's going on and the opportunities around us, are we the kind of person who can step into something where there's a routine and keep that thing going and keep shaping it and making it good? Or are we somebody who needs to be there at the beginning to kick it off, but then we like the variety, so we just need to jump onto the next thing quick? And this kind of gives us an insight into our personality. And I want to encourage us to spend some time just thinking about that sometime in the next week. To live our shape. We're now building up a decent picture of ourselves. We should be understanding something of our spiritual gifts, something of where our heart is at, something of our abilities. If you're here this morning, you've missed those three, don't worry, you can catch up on the podcast. It's on our church website, and you'll find it there. But we should now be beginning to build up a picture of ourselves. And I want just to kind of just push finally here to say, this is not just about what we're doing here in church, friends. This is about our whole lives. We have this one life, and we should be seeking to make sense of this whole life. Some of God's purpose for your life will be stuff that we do together with a church banner on it and a church logo on it, but most of what we do is going to be stuff that is in our workplaces, in our homes, and we want to have that kind of that understanding that God's plans and purposes for you encompasses the whole of your life. So it may well be that at work, you're currently in a situation where you are completely stressed out. And as you think about shape, you realize it's because I'm doing the wrong thing. I was never, I've come into this role and I'm here and I'm doing this stuff and I need to carry on doing it because there's a mortgage and there's family and there's obligations. Please hear me incredibly carefully. I'm not telling you go and quit your job tomorrow morning and put your notice in. What I am saying now is this is where it has to get practical. For some of us, as we understand who we are and what God's made us to be, we realize that some of the tension in our lives is because we are trying to live outside of our shape. We're trying to force ourselves into something that God had never wanted us to have, to live at a pace that God never designed you to live at, to be involved in things that God had not put onto your plate. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to do something about it. And if it's at the workplace, why don't you talk to your manager and say, this is what's happening for me right now and I'm just feeling like there's, it's too much or I'm just not quite in the right role. I'm, I'm kind of wondering, is there a way of tweaking what I do? You see, you have this one life. Live it 
Why go through life doing a job and spending eight hours a day, five days a week doing something that causes you nothing but stress and anxiety? Why would you do that? You have this one life. God has got something for you that fits your shape. And if it isn't that job, then could it be that job? Maybe, maybe it is time to start looking. Maybe some of us, it's time to dig out the CV and just to start looking at it, saying, you know what, Jonathan, I needed a kick in my pants this week to just face up to it and realize, actually, it is time for a bit of a shift. It is time for a change. I'm going to polish my CV and just start looking. Is there something else? Is there a way that you can make changes in your life to reduce the expenses so that you don't have to be so driven? You don't have to be working all those incredible hours. Is there a way of doing that? When I taught this a few years ago, I had somebody come to me, and I share this as an example, no more than an example. Somebody who realized he was spending 50 quid a month, 55 pounds a month on his Sky TV package. And he realized that the work he was in, if he didn't have Sky, he could have an, e an afternoon off each week. And he just did the maths and he realized he could live without Sky and he and his family would benefit by having half a day a week. I'll share that with you just as a thought. Is there a way that you can reduce your expenditure so that actually some of this pressure gets eased from life? Who could you ask for help? Who could you ask around you to say, this is where I'm at right now and I don't quite understand it, but you know what, I realize that I'm this kind of a person and this is the kind of stuff that makes me flourish and somehow I'm spending my life, whether it's at work or the stuff we find to do at our home or how we're spending retirement or whatever it might be in our stage of life, I find I'm spending my time doing stuff that isn't fitting and it causes me tension and stress. And here's the thing, the last thing I want to say just before we kind of wind this up, is if we're struggling to find that shape, maybe, maybe it's because it's an opportunity for us to start serving and start volunteering and to start being involved in something new. For some of us, not all, please don't hear me say start something new this week. Don't hear me say quit your job. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if we recognize that there's stress and tension in our lives, it could be because we're doing stuff that just isn't our shape. So let's start figuring out what it is or we'll find the thing that is our shape. I shared with you a few weeks ago about this friend of Susanna and I who began Sunday school teaching and realized that's what he was living for through the week and so he became a teacher. What might it be for you? What might be the opportunity in front of you right now to begin serving or to serve in a different way that begins to fit your shape and see fulfillment come into life so that the rest of life makes sense because you've thrown yourself in and you've got yourself involved in this. It is a wonderful thing that God has given you a unique shape. God might be calling you to change in some areas, but he is almost certainly wanting to shine his light through you so that the color you are, the person you are, the personality you have gives light to those around you and reveals something different about the light of God as it works in you. My prayer for all of us is that as we start figuring out who we really are, we would live lives of fullness, even as exiles in this world. Why? Because we find ourselves in the place that God wants us to be, doing the stuff he's designed us to do, finding that very sweet spot in our lives where emotional, spiritual, physical, financial health are ours because we're doing what it is God made us to do and has called us into.
let this be a week. Let this be a season for some of us where we figure out what it is and start pressing in and taking a hold of it and having the best life we could have, full of fulfillment and purpose as we serve him and know him together. Let's pray. And I just want to, ordinarily I would pray at the end and I'd lead you in a prayer, but I just want to leave a few moments here. If there's a prayer that you want to pray out loud for yourself or for us as a church in relation to this stuff about shape, knowing ourselves. So instead of me praying over us in just a moment, I'm going to do that and I'm going to bless us all. But before then, why don't you pray your short prayer for us as we seek to serve God and seek to live out the unique role and purpose he has for us. Just where you are, nice and loud, you pray for us as a family now. Amen. Friends, one of the beautiful things that we've had today is our young people leading us in song worship. And I would be so grateful if you would encourage them because I think they did a terrific job for us. So when you see them later on, please make sure you tell them. I say that because that means unless I sing a solo right now, there's no music at the end today. 
So I want to invite you to stay for tea and for coffee, which will be served over here if you're new among us. Today, if you have that sense of struggling with shape, please don't leave until you've just prayed with somebody. And so uh, over in this corner here, uh, there'll be people available to pray for you. And if you just move to that space and take a seat, somebody will spot you and join you and come and sit with you and pray. And it could be about what we've talked about this morning, but it could be something else. It may be that you're here today, you'd love for someone to pray for you for physical health or prosperity in some other way in your life. I don't think God wants to give you a Ferrari, but I do think he wants you to have enough to meet all of your needs and the needs of those he pushes towards you. So whatever it is that you need prayer for this morning, why don't you make your way over there. Come and have a chat with me or one of the elders who identified themselves if you want to find out more about this church. This prayer comes from Hebrews chapter 13 and it's a prayer that God would shine his light in us and change us and change the world through us. The writer says, now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.